Ah, who knows? Who knows? Who knows what the motivation is? Hello, Alaska. I'm Pat Race. And I'm Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. In today's episode, we're talking about some very exciting primary elections results. Uh, but first, Matt, how are you? What have you been up to? I haven't talked to you in forever. I got a dog. Oh, really? That's yeah. great. Yeah. You talk about dogs all the time. You love dogs. That's Congratulations. I know. Yeah. So I finally uh, was moving around um, a little bit after getting back from session. And I found a place finally that would allow dogs. And actually, as soon as I sort of took the application, I went straight to the dog or uh, the animal shelter and picked out a dog right then. Oh, that's fantastic. What kind of dog did you get? Does it have a name? What? He is, his name is Tuco. And uh-huh. he is a uh, red healer. So Australian cattle dog of some uh-huh. some variety. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, the, the big thing, though, that has been a big impediment this summer is that I fell... So I got I decided that I would learn how to skateboard again and pretty much immediately fell and didn't break anything, but managed to pull and strain like every single thing in my arm. So you passed the skateboard off to the dog. Yeah. The now dog you, is now not skateboarding. making yet. a living off YouTube videos. Yep. yep. Perfect. How has your summer been? Um, you know, not, not as eventful as that, <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, I had a, I had a great summer. It was, uh, I just got back from a fishing trip and, uh, um, I went down to the comic convention in San Diego and, uh, did you dress work- up as anything? Did I dress up as anything? I hear no. that's a big thing, right? It is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, I know I, um, I exhibit my artwork down there and, uh, so we have like a booth and we sell prints and comics and things like that. And, um, you dress up as an Alaskan, I suppose. I, yeah. I just go as me, yeah. which is <laughs> people, people aren't very excited about that though. But you know, people <laughs> are excited about primary elections yes so uh primary elections just happened in alaska and uh and i think the most visible thing uh immediately is the turnover there's incredibly large turnover there are seven incumbents who lost their seats uh well probably lost their seats and uh six definitely lost their seats and one is in the process of maybe losing a seat yeah, and that's about half of those who were challenged. So, I mean, that's that's a huge number of incumbents to, to tank. Do you want to just kind of run down the list and talk about uh, each one of them? Sure. Um, so let's start with, I guess, the one that's still sort of lingering in the headlines. That's uh, Benny Nagiak up from uh, Barrow. It's House District 40. Uh, he's challenged by a guy named Dean Westlake. Uh, the issue really there um, was uh, Nagiak <clears throat> is a Democrat, but he's been caucusing with... Um, the Republican-led majority, which will be probably a common thread throughout all these people. Um, and currently, it's like 21 votes is how far ahead Dean Westlake is. But it's yeah, not quite as Yeah, that was interesting watching those come in. Like, there was a, he was like five votes ahead, then he was three votes ahead, then he was 20-some-odd votes ahead. And it's just been a really slow roller coaster ride. <laughs> well, and it's getting, like, more and more sort of... Um, rocky, I guess, as you go through, um, you know, there's now there's all these sort of irregularities, I guess, is what they've been calling them um, about how the election is run. You know, in one district, um, people got to vote on both the Republican and the Democratic ballot or the, the open ballot. And in other districts, people, the some Republicans were reporting that they were told that they couldn't vote on the Democratic ballot, which is against that's not how it works. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, there's all there- these sort of things. So this this case I imagine will probably end up in the courts in some fashion or another. I like the story that came out of Barrow of the guy who just kind of like went home and went to sleep and didn't turn in the election results. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean that 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 those sort of things raise huge. I mean, so this is me going off on a tangent here, but yeah. Um, you know, there's been a lot to been said about you know what this election means. You know, who who won that sort of stuff. But um, the narrative, I guess, that is sort of starting to form really clearly here is um, that something went wrong in these elections. Um, you know, you're looking at all of the these irregularities, and so. You know, you we had a hearing on Monday where some legislators were basically blaming um, or alleging that the governor somehow uh, lieutenant cheated, governor. cheated. Yeah, the lieutenant governor cheated. That he did something that imp- improper that yielded these somehow favorable results to him. Um, right. Which and that's that's like one of the only jobs the lieutenant governor has is running elections right? and protecting the state seal. Yeah. Yeah, right, protecting the state seal. Yes, that <laughs> uh, that sounds exciting. Now I'm yeah. I'm I'm picturing uh, Byron Malott like camped out overnight up in the Capitol building with like just, with a shotgun yeah. just hanging out next to the seal. Yeah, well, I was imagining more like a Captain America with the seal as the shield. Oh, that's uh, good too. But so, anyways, getting back to the, how this election was run, though, is you know the the real sort of consistent thread through all of it is that there were people in remote parts of Alaska that weren't directly following exactly the state law for how to do elections and um, you know when people are starting to ask why that is that the the Department of Elections have said hey we were told not to travel and so we did everything by internet which isn't very good in rural Alaska and mailing out DVDs and oh by the way it's not. There's no state requ- state law requirement for election poll workers to actually take any training courses. So, yeah, that was that was tough. The the legislature had this hearing and they said, "All right, what are you guys doing wrong?" And then they kind of pointed back at the legislature and said, "Well, there, you guys made it so that no one had to re- had to uh, attend the training sessions that we give. So maybe that's why they're not training." And you're also telling, and at the same time, also. Um, pressuring the governor to n- no longer travel to uh, out, so there's n- no one was getting even the opportunity for in-person training. In yeah, I think districts. we're going to see a, a lot more of that sort of thing in the next year or two, as as the reality of some of our our cuts start hitting the ground, yeah. where people are like, "Well, why isn't this being done?" And and well, it's uh, you told us not to, sir. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just how state laws work, right? And when you're trying to save money, I mean they they talked about how, how they saved you know a quarter million dollars in traveling this session, um, but a lot of that is. You know, we're seeing the impacts of it. You know, we're, we're we might have saved some money, but we got this election as a result. Man, I feel the same way about state surplus. I went to I went to go try and buy a filing cabinet the other day, and we don't have our our surplus barn anymore. And so you have to like get on a website, and then you have to find out where the filing cabinet is that you want to bid on. And you have to go and see it in person if you want to get a <laughs> one that works. And then you so you go to this office and you bother someone that's working on something else. And you say, hey, can I go look at your filing cabinets? And they take you on this little tour of the filing cabinets. And then you have to go back and get on your computer and bid on the thing uh, through their online auction house. And then you have to wait for the auction to close in like a week. And then you have to go back and bother the same person to go pick up your filing cabinet. And it seems <laughs> super inefficient. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it maybe saves some money. I don't think so. Start. I think it like yeah. I think it looked good on paper initially, but when you think when you add up all the hours that people are going to lose just like dinking around with file cabinets, oh, gonna be yeah. Bad. But but those those hours lost are much more much more difficult to account for. All right. So who else we got here? Johnson and Gaddis. Craig Johnson and Lynn Gaddis both tried to um, 
jump ship from the House over to the Senate and, and didn't quite make the gap. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is an interesting one. Um, Craig Johnson is kind of uh, a powerful dude over there. He was very powerful, right? Yeah, like, he was I the mean, House Rules Chair yeah. um, Committee, or uh, the chairman of the House Rules Committee. So he's the guy that gets to decide, you know, what bills go um, from committee to the vote on the floor. And Lynn Gaddis was kind of a rising star herself. She was this sort of conservative budget hawk. She was on the House Finance Committee. I think it, it seemed like the her challenger kind of came out of nowhere. It wasn't she didn't really campaign all that hard. Um, Johnson's though was pretty tight. There was uh, Natasha von Imhoff who won, and uh, Craig. Uh, is it Jason Land? No, it's Jeff Lansfield. Oh yeah, Jeff Lansfield. Juno, Juno's worst nightmare, man. And that was oh. like a pretty contentious race there. So Johnson's was, was kind of seen a little more. That one, I think people were expecting. Gaddis was a big surprise. Yeah. I think to me though, is it's always sort of surprising to me that Johnson decided to leave it all, um, because. He had a good seat. Um, he was going into a race late. He was going into a race against somebody who had raised way more money than him. And so that, I think, is interesting. That's something to ke- kind of keep an eye out, that if one of the most powerful guys in the House jumps ship, I think it really gives you an idea of how in disarray the House might really be right now. You have a lot of other... You have, I think, um, five other people in the House that have retired. A lot of them are from... Uh, kind of senior sort of leadership roles. So House is going to be really interesting next year. Yeah, and I was uh, I was reading this report the other day about incumbents and voter turnout, and the thing that really jumped out at me is that uh, they said that many savvy incumbents will see the writing on the wall and strategically retire before being cast out. And so I think that, like, I mean, this yeah. was a huge year for turnover just with retirements alone, not counting all these people who lost their races. And I think that the people who retired maybe saw this coming. Yeah, I think all told, I wrote about this um, for the news miner uh, right after the election. There, I think there were seven people that um, have retired, at, and then now we have another seven that lost their election. So you have, you know, fourteen people um, that will be fourteen seats that will be new in some way or another. Um, yeah, and we aren't even to the general elections yet. Yeah, could be a lot more. All right. Uh, yeah. So, and then the other two that we haven't talked about are Bob Lynn and Wes Keller, and I feel like they. Um, I think people just sort of got bored with them. I think they're they're considered, I think, a little bit of footnotes to this whole race. They're both kind of been there for a long time. Bob Lynn was 83. Uh, it was something that was made of an issue during the campaign. You know, he's one of those legislator, older legislators that seems to fall asleep a lot during committee hearings. That sort of stuff was popping up a lot. Um, and they were kind of knocked off by both, both knocked off by seemingly more conservative candidates, but both of them would have never been considered moderate by any means. So it's sort of a matter of degrees on those ends. Yeah. I, I went and testified uh, in one of Lynn's uh, committees this year, and that was a lot of fun. Did you wake? <laughs> I, I woke him up, man. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, we got in a little bit of a heated exchange. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, the uh, final one too. The the really the mo- one of the most contentious races we skipped over is uh, Jim Culver. Uh, he right. lost his seat to a guy named George Rauscher, and uh, this is one that was really interesting because this is one where the Republican Party itself got in and actually endorsed uh, Culver's opponent. I yeah. think there were a lot of people dissatisfied both with his style and with his politics in that race. 
So do you think he's going to stick with it and try and run as a write-in and do the Lisa Murkowski it thing? Wouldn't, it wouldn't be impossible, to be honest. Um, that district doesn't have a Democrat running in it, so it, it does have a Constitution candidate, I want to say, So yeah. um, who's, I think, only polled a few percentage points in most elections. So um, the, it's definitely open for a head-to-head. That would be interesting. Well, the interesting thing is that there are a lot of independent candidates. So I think a lot of people are uh, emboldened by, definitely by... Um, uh, Bill Walker's win last sec- cycle. And so you have, I think there's, oh, there's at least four or five independents that are running this time around. Yeah, but a lot of those in- independents are Democrats that are like, I mean, it's 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 a way of saying I'm running for office and don't vote against me because I'm a Democrat. Yeah, I'm in, in a lot of those cases, sure. But I would also argue that, um, you know, you don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat to be a politician, you know? So right. some of these people truly don't have party allegiances in any sort of major way. So, you know, I think a lot of them come in and they're saying, well, you know, I might agree with the Democrats, but I don't really, not, not one of the Democrats, you know? Yeah. So. But I don't want their baggage. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. want their baggage. <laughs> yeah. that, no, but that's already really feel like it is. It's like, I, I, maybe I agree with these guys a little bit. Maybe I agree with these guys a little bit, but I don't want either of their baggage. So I'm going to yeah. run as an, as an independent. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and then I think you always hear, you know, Alaska, you know, people talk about how, uh, you know, the biggest party here is those that are uh, undeclared or nonpartisan. So what does what does this all mean and, and where is it coming from? And I think that in the post-election reporting, I've seen kind of two narratives developing. And one of those narratives is the door knocking narrative, is the, the narrative that the special session was so long that uh, incumbent candidates didn't have a chance to get out and knock on doors and raise money for their campaigns. And so they lost. They were at a disadvantage. And then the other, uh, the other narrative um, is the one that I'm drawn to, uh, is that they people are just pissed off that they don't they're not happy with uh with the legislature's uh work this year that they uh were unable to come up with a with a good long-term fiscal plan and they were uh they just kind of dithered around uh, and, and spent their time uselessly in Juneau and so you know things like the the LIO and the um multiple special sessions I, I think were a little more taxing on them than the door knocking thing and so with that as my kind of gut reaction, um, I went sort of researching reinforcement to my narrative. <laughs> like, oh, people are people are angry about the fiscal situation, not because they didn't come knock on their door. Um, you know that you you'd make a great politician. You you start out with your conclusion. I start with my conclusion, looking... and then I go do get some data. Right, yeah. totally. That's how it works, right? Yeah. So, so anyways, I went and looked up. Um, two other years that had a similar, that were similar session length, right? So um, this year was, I don't know, 156, 157 days. Mm -hmm. And um, the two that are closest to that were 2006 and 1984. And they both had uh, 151 and 152 days. So um, anyways, I went and looked at those and you'd think that if the door knocking narrative has some truth to it, that in both of those sessions, you'd see a similar turnover. and you don't. You see incumbents winning just across the board. So, I mean, the, it's only two data points. And um, But incumbents do very well in Alaska. And uh, I would be surprised if it's the door-knocking scenario. Well, I would argue that it's probably a combination of the two. I mean, that's, that's sort of the, sort of the cop-out uh, answer for most journalists you'll probably find. But there's probably a combination of the two. I think uh, in a lot of cases you have... Uh, people who are very upset with their incumbents for whatever reason you have uh 
and th- I think there's no maybe no no real super clear threat on on why they're upset other than they're upset because you have some conservatives being knocked off by even people people who are more conservative than them and you have some sort of moderate democrats who are being be knocked off by the left um but so anyways i think um some of them you know we we have stories where some incumbents ran pretty lazy campaigns and so that combined with you know the frustration over the session i think made a lot of them a lot more vulnerable than they thought they were yeah i guess i guess so but uh, yeah I, I, okay. don't, I don't think though it's the time though because you do there were there were definitely campaigns that put out huge races you know that you know the culver's district had a very sort of sophisticated campaign as well as you know i think um johnson's did too and i think those there were people who really did run and try to keep their seat and still lost and so the argument that they didn't have enough time i doesn't really hold up either when you look at the numbers it's hard to it's hard to say that it's anything but dissatisfaction and 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 to me it almost says that people are less inclined to vote for you if you're ineffective and not doing things than if you're effective and corrupt Hey, that's a good hot take, man. Yeah, hot. Yeah. You should write that up. <laughs> I know. It. Yeah. I mean, I know it's all speculation, but I feel like I feel like that's that some of some of what this is is reading tea leaves. You know, you you take the information you you have and you try and do your best with it, and um, and then also you try and combat other narratives. Like you're seeing a lot of that right now, where there's. Um, you know, different people are spinning different narratives. You see people like Suzanne Downing say, this is, these are great results for conservatives. Alaska is getting more and more conservative. And, and I don't know that I can agree with that, like looking at these results. Um, and another but, really thing, another thing I see people sort of tending to do, and I think I was guilty of this when I started looking at election data, is looking at um, saying, oh, there are, there were 3,000 votes cast in the Republican primary and only 2,000 votes cast in the Democratic primary. Looks like Les Guerra might be in trouble, you know, something like that, which is crazy on the face of it, because if once you if you know that district, it always votes extremely Democratic. Some I think people are looking at some of their votes, too, and trying to kind of math their way into uh, a more interesting general election than there typically has been. So there are all sorts of ways to get it wrong, I think. Yes. And (laughs) this brings me to kind of, I think, what is a great conclusion for this bit on primary elections and that's the, and that's that my my only takeaway from this is that all we're left is with, with is speculation and that's because there's just not enough good data um there's not enough public data that's out there and what is out there is in really weird formats we have all these old kind of funky pdf documents that you can't search um they you know they just kind of end at arbitrary years uh they're not in similar formats you probably run into this all the time as a reporter yeah, I mean, I, I run into stuff that's, you know, yeah, like you said, different PDF formats. I think I've seen um, the way the ordering of stuff changes from year to year. It's just it's really impossible or it takes a lot of like time and handcrafting to beat one piece of data into a format that you can really co- begin to even compare it to another piece of data. So I don't really know what the answer to that is. We have this huge fiscal crisis ahead of us, so it's not like we're going to be spending a bunch of money to to punch up the databases. But um, maybe we can do something uh, small on our end here. Maybe we can start. Um, maybe we can start like a public data project. Um, mm-hmm. 
like uh, we can if, if people want to drop us a line we can send them a pdf document to to drop into a google spreadsheet and then maybe we can work that towards something that's a little bit better yeah I mean, as somebody who's wrestled around with excel spreadsheets is you know i found that a lot of it's incredibly difficult to get into, but once you get in there and you sort of unlock it and you start being able to sort of draw conclusions from it, it becomes incredibly interesting and incredibly useful uh, yeah. for talking about. You know, I think I've done, I did uh, a couple elections ago uh, in, 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 in Fairbanks. I, I wanted to know about air quality and, and what parts of the borough were how all parts of the borough were voting and how that kind of correlated to the, the average air quality in that area. And, I actually, you know, took out, I think I still have it. I, I, ha, I took out a map and I hand drew everything. You know, I actually got col- markers out and color different areas. And, you know, this place has ha, voted against it and it had better, better, bad air quality. And it really started to tell a story a little bit about, you know, how people's feelings on air quality in a lot of ways were not at all connected to the actual air quality in their area, but it was more maybe tied to, you know, their income and, and their sort of political leanings more so than anything else. Right. And that's the thing you go in looking for, just like earlier in the show, when I, I, I started with a premise and I went looking for the data to support my opinion. Like the thing is that when you just have the data and you're digging around in the data, you find things that, that aren't, um, basically the easier it is to access the data, the easier it is to allow the data to say, talk for itself, basically. Yeah. Being able to, you know, tie election data to state spending levels to all this sort of stuff and have it on a level where it is down to the precinct and down to the community would be extraordinarily useful, I think, and and just extraordinarily interesting in telling the story about how Alaska politics works. Yeah, that sounds cool. And and maybe there's some people in the state who, uh, you know, maybe there's people in the state whose job this is that and I don't know it and and they're just looking for something to tie into. I think the hard thing about data existing inside the state is that they're kind of stuck in a box. They have so many rules and regulations on their on how they use technology that I think it's hard to just crank out a spreadsheet. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really interesting thing that I mean this is maybe a discussion for another time, but just how um how difficult a lot of open records laws are and how how outdated a lot of them are. I mean, uh, you know, sending somebody uh, an Excel document with 10,000 lines on it, you know, electronically is, you know, doesn't cost anything. But, right. to, you know, a lot of places, they're still printing it out. They, they make you print it out and then you get to pay the 25 cents per sheet or something like that. And it becomes extraordinarily difficult to get access to some of this data. Or instead of sending you the Excel document, they send you the PDF document. And you know, there's a lot of these sort of things that just make accessing information so difficult and, and really, um, I, I think, inhibits a lot of ways of, of holding government accountable. All right. Well, All right. I think that's yeah. that's a that's an episode. We did an yeah. episode. So, uh, so, so everyone can stop maybe, bugging us. Or, yeah. So maybe now it's uh, so maybe now it's poetry corner time. Yeah. All right. So uh, what's the what's the latest? Oh, I, don't, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't really seen anything actually. Just, just no, she did one just the, just the other day. Okay. Sure. So um, th- this one um, comes from our uh, friend of the show, I suppose, Cindy Smith. You can find her on Twitter at clsmithak. And this one, um, well, I'll just read it. A wicked thought. Voting for just anyone, 
the closed primary. I love Cindy's poems. They're great, and they're topical and smart. And if anyone else has funny, weird, awesome poetry to uh, share with us about Alaska politics, let us know. We'll put it yeah. in the rotation. Yeah. And that's a great one. I mean, I just really I find the closed primary system, the closed ballot system here, really confounding sometimes because you know we have so many problems with our we this election. You know, we've had so many problems with it, and it's like. It would be, you know, if the Republicans just open up their ballot to anybody, you know, wouldn't be a problem. I don't even know why we have separate ballots. I would love to see like a top two system where like you put all the names on the primary and then the top two people go face off in the general unless yeah. someone gets 50 percent and then they won. I mean, uh, that would that would uh, I think in all, that actually would be really interesting for districts like these very, very Republican districts. You know, D's will never win their eyes might win there but really like it should just be two different you know in some of those districts two different r's is actually what the, that, the general population yeah. should be weighing in on yep absolutely and and i think that would help to bring people to the middle a little bit more you wouldn't have so many uh like the the extremely conservatives and extremely liberal folks who are running and winning their primaries wouldn't fare as well in an open primary mm-hmm. um and if they did then the more centrist person would win the general election mm-hmm. i like uh, it if only we were a democratic dictatorship <laughs> all right so that's our show for the day but we always like to end on uh, an up note so what's uh, what's the good news matt buxton so um really the biggest news out of fairbanks in the last few weeks has been the tanana valley state fair um so there's this rap duo uh bishop slice and starbucks they have a a song called I'm from Fairbanks and a lot of other ones. And a lot of their material is, is, you know, it's kind of hardcore rap and it's a lot of, it's about growing up in Fairbanks and sort of the, the sort of tougher parts of Fairbanks. So anyways, they, they go on the stage, they start performing. They've obviously, um, edited their lyrics, you know, removing a lot of the profanities and still like halfway through, um, an outraged fair organizer cuts the music off. And says, this is a family fair, and you're not welcome here. And um, there, there's like a, about a dozen off the top of my head problems with it. You know, there's, you know, there, there's sort of like criticism of the music being urban, I think, um, uh-huh. which is very racially loaded. Um, there was all that sort of stuff um, on top of it. But I think even stepping away from that, if you, if you take that out of it, it's really kind of poor treatment of musicians. One of the rappers, you know, put it on Facebook Live. Um, you know, it's got tens of thousands of hits now. And the next day, in solidarity, every other musical act, or almost every other musical act, pulled out of the fair in support wow. of this treatment. And it's, you know, this is a fair that's been pretty vindictive in a lot of ways. Um, you know, some vendors took off to go to another... Um, uh, a, a carnival basically once and they were never allowed back you know and stuff like that and so people get blacklisted by this fair and so i think even if even if you can even if you want to set aside you know maybe the fair wasn't being racist if that if that's the argument you want to take it was still like an incredibly poor treatment 
of artists. And well, they and, were invited there, and they obviously had heard their music before they played. I would, right? I would hope so. Yeah. And so, in, and if they weren't listening to their music, and that was their defense, oh, we didn't know what kind of music they played. Then what are you doing booking people in the first place? And so, I think there were a lot of problems around it, and and seeing you know even you know the the um, the Scottish. Uh, bagpipe band pulled out in in wow. they were one of the first bands and it was I think you know even better than me how difficult um you know it is for musicians to work in Alaska oh, yeah. and and seeing this sort of treatment and seeing the response and the solidarity and you know now you have like even the community organizations coming in you have a lot of the sponsors that are getting kind of upset by this treatment and it end, it's ended up I think creating a real conversation in the community about race and about um about all these other issues and i think it's it's good and it's really driving people to be involved and i think people who are upset with it they've been careful in how they communicate you know it was a it was a really unfortunate event and hopefully 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 some changes brought out from it and probably a lot more people are listening to their music as a result yeah we'll put a link in there yeah good cool all right well my good news is that uh, also comes from a sad place I, I read the story in the ADN today about uh, an Anchorage blockbuster closing, and I thought to myself, wow, we, we have blockbusters in Alaska. And then I read the article a little further. We have eight blockbusters in Alaska right now, yeah. which <laughs> blows my mind. And I, I think I, I think says wonderful things about our state and sort of just kind of how behind the curve we are on a lot of things um, and how different we are than the rest of the United States. Yeah. We have eight blockbusters. I, I think that's probably more than most other states. Yeah, it's nice to go rent a a movie on a shelf. I don't know what it says, but I, I like that. Ex- I like that experience. Yeah, I like yeah. going to get my Dippin' Dots and my uh, my <laughs> DVD rental. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pack of horrible Twizzlers. Yeah, yeah. That was one of my first dates uh, with Marion. We went to we went to a blockbuster up there and rented a bunch of X Men movies. <laughs> it was just great. Oh, the Juno Juno doesn't have any more blockbusters, right? You guys lost oh, no. yours to both close, right? Yeah, we lost our blockbuster. We're, oh. we're blockbusterless blockbusted (laughs) all right that's our show uh this is pat race and matt buxton and you can find us at helloalaska.pizza or on twitter i'm at uh, alaska robotics and i'm at fdnm politics so question do we want to at some point address like hey we've been gone for a while we're planning on more episodes soon so stay tuned um sure we can do that yeah all right thanks for listening if you're still with us uh i know matt and i have been gone for a while uh but we're gonna try and make some more shows this fall so uh stick around and uh join us for those and if you were at all interested in our open data project and want to uh I don't know, type in some spreadsheets, read some PDFs, uh, drop us a line, Hey guys at helloalaska.pizza. All right. Goodbye, Alaska. Goodbye.